For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jesse. I lead up at the Waverly campus. It's good to be with you. I don't get here an awful lot, but uh, um, yeah, it's good to be with you this morning. So we've been up in Waverly for a couple years, uh, moved up there two and a half years ago and, and started leading the Waverly campus. And on the back of our house that we bought up there, we have this really nice deck, or it's a deck that we really like anyway. And so last summer I thought, well, I'm going to refinish this thing and hopefully it lasts a few years. I didn't really know what I was doing. Some projects I come in with a big, big plan. And, and this one, I really didn't come in with a plan. I just went and got a, a grinder and started sanding down the top of the deck and, uh, uh, because it was really bad. And so, um, so I started doing that. And in the process, I learned a lot about refinishing a deck, and, and it was great. It still looks all right today, and so um, that's, that, was, that was nice. So the past couple weeks, I was talking to a friend, and uh, this friend said he's refinishing his deck. And so then I could feel myself wanting to share about my experiences with my deck. He was sharing about how he's re- refinishing his deck. He had to sand it off and paint it and everything that he was doing on his deck. And I, oh, I could feel these things just bubbling up inside of me. Have you ever had this happen to you where somebody else is, is talking about something and you can feel these words inside yourself bubbling up like I have something to share. I've got something to share right now and I want to share it because it would be good for this connection or it would be good. I, could, I know what this person needs for maybe some advice or something like that. And you say, so with all this bubbling up, what did I actually say to him? We'll come back to that. <laughs> so we are in a series called I Could Do That, where each of the teachers are sharing about the different ways that they connect with God. Now, I connect with God in a lot of different ways. I love to go uh, kayaking or whitewater rafting. I like to go hiking. I like to read and journal and, and work on projects. I like to do a lot of different things. But no matter what I do, I always find some sort of talking going on. Sometimes I'm talking with others. Sometimes I'm talking with God in prayer. Sometimes I'm just like got these words that are bubbling up just like before. And then pretty soon I find myself talking to myself. Have you ever had this happen? You're just talking to yourself all of a sudden. And so I always find myself talking. And so lately my spiritual growth path looks like this. I ask myself the question, why do I say the things that I say? Why would I say the things that I say? Here's something that Jesus said. He said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. But listen to this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so we learn a lot about our hearts when we listen to the words that are coming out of our mouths. So my spiritual growth path looks a lot like this these days. I start by watching my words. What are these words that are coming out of my mouth? And then, I, and then I, sometimes I write them down. I journal them and, and try to get a better look at them because I'm kind of kinesthetic. I like to interact with them. So I write them down. And, and then I go over and I read something from the Bible and I, I try to compare my words with God's words and the things that I'm caring about and the things that are coming out of my heart with the things that are coming out of God's heart. And I try to compare those and then try to have better words. And so I'm just paying attention to the words that I say. And so over the last couple weeks... I mean, this is it. That's it. You can take that home. Take a picture with your phone if you want to, and and we're done. But for the last couple weeks, I've shared this with some people, and here's the question that I keep getting back from people. It's, okay, so how do you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible? Well, there's actually a connection between watching my words and reading the Bible, so let's talk about that. I used to read the Bible used to read maybe a verse or a passage or something like this, and I would read from it, and then I would stop, and then I would ask myself, what does that mean? Because sometimes the Bible's confusing. I would say, what does that mean? 
But then one day I was reading and I asked a different sort of question and it completely changed the way that I read the Bible. I wanna show you something. We're gonna play a little game. It's called, what does it mean? So we've got a few different examples here. What if you're just walking down the street and you find this note and it says, to Rachel Hinkle, looking forward to our big dance this weekend from Jesse Hinkle. Now ask yourself, what does it mean? Rachel's my wife, by the way. <laughs> Helpful to know that. She had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday to Rachel. You say, what does it mean? Well, could mean a lot of different things. Maybe we were getting ready for our wedding. We're going to have a dance at our wedding. We didn't have a dance at our wedding, but maybe. So maybe we were getting ready for our wedding, or maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe we're taking dancing lessons. Maybe we're 10 years married. We're taking dancing lessons. Or maybe we're going to go on a date night or something like that. You, you read this and you go, what does it mean? Well, it could mean a few different things. Now let's just make one small change and check this out. To Sherry Hinkle, looking forward to our big dance this weekend from Jesse Hinkle. Sherry is my mom. She's here today. Hi, Mom. I don't know where you're at, but great. So um, what, you know, what would this be about? What does it mean? Now, maybe, again, we go back to the wedding. Maybe there's a mother-son dance at the wedding or something like that, getting ready for the wedding. You say, what does it mean? Well, maybe that's it. Let's try this one. This next one, I think you might like this one. What if it was this? Two Sean Johnson from Derek Hughes. How many people know who these guys are? All right, a few of us. Yeah, these people were on Dancing with the Stars. Sean Johnson was the gymnast. She went on a TV show, and, uh, and I think they did really well. Derek Hughes was her partner. And so now, all of a sudden, what does it mean? Well, this is about a TV show. You got a couple people from a TV show, and now they're writing about a TV show. Let's try the next one. <laughs> to Meghan Markle from Prince Harry. Does anybody know who these folks are? Yeah. So let, let me ask you this, though. How would this change what you knew about this? Get this. In England... Every two years, they have a festival, a nine-day festival, and it's called the Big Dance. So you go, oh, maybe they're going to a festival, right? So now let's try one more. Some of you will know these folks. To Mike Krzyzewski from, I don't know how you get Krzyzewski out of that, by the way. To Mike Krzyzewski out of John Calipari. Anybody know who these guys are? They're basketball coaches for NCAA men's teams, Duke and... Uh, and um, Kentucky, wow. I almost said North Carolina, and I'm like, it's not North Carolina. I have it written in my notes. Duke and thank you, Duke and Kentucky. And many of you know that the, the, uh, the tournament is called the Big Dance. The, the Big NCAA tournament is called the Big Dance. So you think, well, maybe they're going to play each other this weekend. Look, the words didn't change. The, the, the physical message actually stayed the same each time. But depending on who wrote it and to whom it's written, you get a completely different idea of what the message is about. It went from a date night to a wedding tradition, a TV show, a festival, and then a sporting event. So when I read the Bible, I don't start with the question, what does it mean? I start with the question, who's writing to whom? And why are they writing these words to these people? Who's writing to whom? And why would the writer choose these words? This is how I read the Bible. So today we're going to read from Revelation. I really like the book of Revelation. I, uh, a few years ago, about five years ago, when I was out at the Grundy campus, we did this 
excuse me, Bible study of Revelation. It was just a fantastic Bible study. And so um, it's the last book of the Bible. So we're going to look at just the very beginning chapter. And we're going to ask the question, who's writing to whom? And why would the author choose these words for these people? And then after we look at Revelation, we're going to come all the way back to um, what I'm learning about watching my words. So, uh, so let's turn to Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read a little bit. And then we're going to make some observations. It goes like this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to John, who testifies to everything that he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because... The time is near. So we say, okay, who's writing to whom, and why would the author choose these words? Now, the author of Revelation is actually going to answer these questions for us, but some of the books of the Bible aren't so obvious. So there, I just want to say today, there are a lot of really great resources where you can find the who's writing to whom, and you can find some, some of the background information about why they might be writing. And so um, you can do that with a, with a great uh, study Bible. You can get a lot of that information. You can also look online, and there's some really good books um, that, that, that give you an overview of, of each of these. If this is something that you want to pursue and look into, um, a lot of good resources that you can find. What we're going to do now, though, is look a little bit closer, make some observations about why this author chose these words for these people. So the first word in the book of Revelation, quick note, it is revelation, not revelations. Some people want to read the book of revelations. doesn't exist. It's one revelation, just a side note. So um, uh, the Greek word for revelation, that's the first word of the book. The, when you open it up, in the Greek anyway, when you open it up, the very first word is revelation. Um, and the, the Greek word for that is apocalypsis, which today we say apocalypse. Now, I used to think that the word apocalypse meant the end of the world, but it doesn't. Apocalypso means to uncover something. So if you open this up as like a piece of mail, you receive this in the mail, you open it up, the first word is going to tell you that something was covered up, but now it's going to be uncovered. The top is coming off. We also notice that the revelation is from God. It's not John's opinions. It's not a story he made up. God gave it to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, and then it went to John. John wrote it down. He sent it to a reader who would read it out loud in a big group like we are today. And then it goes to those who hear it, because you would be the ones hearing it. Then John actually tells us why he wrote the words. He said it was to show the people what must take place. But let's look a little more closely. We also notice that the revelation, it starts with God and it ends with prayer or with blessing. It says, blessed is the one who reads, blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Now take it to heart. Take it to heart assumes that we're gonna do something about it. Take it to heart means that we're gonna do something about it. Revelation isn't just about information. It's an invitation into what God is doing. We sang earlier about how God is on the move. God is on the move, and we can join in with what he's doing. It's not just information, it's an invitation to join in with what God is doing. Sometimes I think that we read Revelation to find out about the end of the world, but according to John, that's not his intentions for writing to the people. He's writing to uncover something for us 
and invite us to join in so that we will be blessed. You say, so what is it that we're going to join in? Well, let's keep reading and we'll find out more. We're going to read verses 4 through 8. It says this. He goes on. He says, John, because that's who's writing in the ancient world. They started with the person who's writing. So John was writing. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, who is, who was, who is to come, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. So again, we ask, why did he choose these words? One modern-day writer, he says that Revelation is like an art gallery. I like that. It's like an art gallery. We get to wander in. We get to look around at the pictures. Many of the pictures in this art gallery, they use symbols to communicate messages. We use symbols. We use figurative language like John. We use it all the time. Get it? All the time. It's figurative language. You could probably think a lot of your own examples if you just put on your thinking hat, keep your nose to the grindstone. I'll stand here and wait for you for a little while. I'll just have to kill some time. Kill some time. I think you get the picture. Get the picture. How long do we have? (laughs) These are references that we all understand. Well, maybe most of us understand them. If you inter- but if you interpret them literally or if you translate them into another language, it's just gibberish. If you try to translate it into another culture, it doesn't make sense. And it's the same with John's word pictures. So what we have to do is try to understand them. John chose these specific words to create these powerful images and powerful meaning for his people. We just have to unpack their meaning and unpack these images that he communicated them for what they meant for them so that we can understand what it might mean for us today. So let's go into the art gallery. Let's look around and see what we can find. So here's where we see the letter is addressed to the seven churches in Asia. Now, what do we know about the seven churches in Asia? Another modern writer, he said, he said the people in these churches, these seven churches, he said the pressing issue, the pressing issue for them was how Christians who gave their highest loyalty to Jesus should conduct themselves in a world where economic, political structures, where they assumed that everyone was going to worship the emperor. This is the pressing issue. So like if Jesus, if following Jesus is the most important thing for a Christian, then what do I do when the government tells me that I have to worship the emperor? What does a person do? John was choosing his words for people who were being forced to choose between worshiping Jesus and worshiping the Roman emperor. In many cases, people were killed. People were shunned by society, sometimes tortured, if they didn't worship the emperor. This was a pressing issue for the people, and this is the context in which John was writing. 
So let's keep looking into John's words. We might notice that this section essentially begins and ends with the same phrase, who is, who was, who is to come, who is, who was, who is to come. It's the exact same phrase repeated. Usually if a phrase is repeated like this, that means we want to sit up and pay attention. Now the specific words, who is and who was, cool thing. These are the exact same words that God used to describe himself way back in the Old Testament book of Exodus. When God was bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt, exact same words, exact same form of the word. And so John's people, when they heard these words, they would have understood God was on a rescue mission then. What does that mean for us? God must be on a rescue mission again today. I can imagine that it might feel pretty helpless in the situation they were in. But John's words, when taken to heart, they're intended to empower the powerless. They didn't have the physical strength of the Roman army, these Christians. They didn't have the physical strength of the Roman army, but they didn't have to. Because notice this, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, where's he seated? He's seated on the throne. Who sits on the throne? The one who is in charge sits on the throne. In a not so subtle way, John is saying, God is in charge. Regardless of how things are looking, you may be feeling unsure. You may be feeling intimidated. You may feel like giving up hope. But God is in charge. He has not abandoned you. And in fact, God is on a rescue mission right now to save you. He's coming. He's coming. Now check out what John says next. Our last little reading for the day comes from verse 9. John goes on to write, he said, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We're going to stop right there. I just want you to look at these words for a second. And think about this. If John posted these words online today, some sort of social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it might be. If he posted these words on today, what would you think he's trying to accomplish with his words? Is he just giving a life update? Is he hoping that somebody will send a little heart emoji or something? What do you think he's trying to accomplish with these words? Here's what I see in these words. He starts off by saying, I am your brother and your companion. These are words of shared identity. He's saying, I am one of you. We are brothers and sisters. We are children of God. I'm writing to you as a brother. The second thing he says, he talks about the suffering and the kingdom and the, the patient endurance. I think these are words of understanding. He says, we are suffering, but we are part of a kingdom and we patiently endure. He's saying, I, I understand. I'm with you. In fact, I'm on the island of Patmos when I was on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos was a little tiny island this is maybe used kind of like an Alcatraz, a place where they would send people who, who didn't do what they wanted them to do. And it looks like John was exiled for following Jesus. He said he was there because of the word of God. I wonder if maybe 
he was sharing these words to offer some encouragement, maybe just a little bit of help to the other churches, to serve them just a little bit. He's saying, look, I've been exiled. I'm still here with you. I've been exiled. I'm still here with you. You say, so what does all this have to do with watching our words? What does all this have to do with watching our words, the spiritual practice of watching our words? Listen to this. There was a study done where researchers listened to people communicate. Lots and lots and lots of conversations. They just paid attention. And what they found was that people communicate in three distinct channels. Are you ready for these? Three distinct channels. People communicate. And there are three different types of need. Each channel has its own needs. Husbands, wives, parents might want to listen to this. The first channel is called the identity channel. When people are communicating in the identity channel, they are really saying things and wondering things like, who am I? Am I worthy? Am I lovable? The identity channel is just that. It's about who I am. And people in the identity channel, they come up to you and they start talking in the identity channel. You know what they need? They need affirmation. They need affirmed. The second channel is called the contract channel. It's about connection and understanding. These people just want somebody to contract with, meaning that they they want to share their experiences or share their feeling. They want somebody to understand them. It's like they're in a bubble. It's like they're in a bubble and they just want somebody to climb in there and be with them. These people need understanding. The third channel is called the help channel. When people are communicating in the help channel, they are in need. They are in need. They're reaching out for help. And they need served in some way. So somebody might come to you and say, I'm having a rough day. I'm having a rough day. Now, which channel do you think they're communicating in? Good question. But just like with reading the Bible, it's not about what they say. It's about why they're saying it. Why is this person sharing these things with me right now? Because communication is about connection, and true connection can be a loving and a powerful thing. What these researchers found was that if we communicate in the right channel, that's a connection. If we communicate back in the right channel and give them what they need in the channel they're communicating in, then people feel affirmed, supported, understood. They feel loved. They feel loved. But if we respond in the wrong channel, we actually create distance. It actually creates more distance if we miscommunicate. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're having just a day and you've got all these emotions pent up inside and you come home and you share your emotions and then somebody's right there telling you what you should do about it, giving you all kinds of advice on how your day should have been better if you would have done this and this and this. And you just go, oh, that feels terrible. Doesn't it? So here's just a few... Excuse me, a few examples. Somebody comes to you and they say, I'm having a rough day. You might respond, hey, you're a smart person. You'll figure it out. There's an identity channel. You're a smart person. You'll figure it out. Give them the identity channel. Somebody says, I'm having a rough day. And you might respond, rough days are really hard. I hope it gets better for you. It's a contract channel. Somebody might might say, I'm having a rough day. You say, rough day, huh? Well, maybe you ought to, or maybe you should, or have you ever thought about Those are all advice words, right? You're going to about to unload some advice. And each of these really is a fine response. But there just might not be what a person needs. And that's where we have to pay attention and listen well to get into the right channel. So I took a personality test a while ago. 
I like this word. It told me I have a turbulent personality. <laughs> turbulent personality, which means that I experience a wide range of emotion. I experience my emotion, and so I really love to communicate in that second channel. So whether I'm excited about something or upset about something, I mostly just want somebody to say, wow, I see you. I feel you. It's great for you. So my wife has gotten really good at this over the years. Actually, my eight-year-old daughter, Raya, she's pretty good at it too. I'm afraid that she's going to be turbulent as well. But what we've found, what I have found, is that many people want to help me if I'm sharing an emotion. People want to help. It's not bad. But do you ever get this? Like, I get a lot of unsolicited advice. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. It's like when you're walking down the steps and you think you're all the way down and then there's one more step. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes because you're really hoping, maybe even expecting one thing, but instead you get something different. It's kind of like you ask for some ice cream, you know, a nice big chocolate milkshake and somebody sends you some vanilla yogurt. I mean, it's not bad. It's just not what I was wanting. It's a jolt to the system. So I've learned about myself one thing is that because I like to communicate in that second channel, often that's my go-to channel with others. And that's not always helpful either. So remember my friend who was talking about his deck. You want to know what happened? Here's what happened. So we were talking. You know, we're talking. He's telling me all about his deck. And, and it, it started bubbling up. Like, oh, I just finished my deck a year ago. Let me tell you about my deck. So it started bubbling up. And I actually started to share about my deck experience because I wanted to connect with him. And when I did share, he went absolutely silent. Shh didn't engage anything that I was saying. My words just absolutely shut him down. We gotta pay attention to that. What are your words doing to another person? What's happening right there? He was quiet. So I asked him another question and then I just shut up. He shared a little bit more and then I said this. Affirmation channel. I said, well, your deck looks really nice. He smiled, I smiled, and then he started talking about something else. He didn't need me to climb up in his bubble with him. He didn't need advice on his deck, maybe just a little bit of affirmation. That's all he needed. So let me ask this, do you have a go-to channel like I do? Do you have one? Are you an advice dispenser? Are you a connector? Do you have a go-to channel? So lately I've been watching my mouth. I've been paying attention to my words because I want to know what channel I'm in. We talk a lot at Orchard about being, being loved. It's one of our marks. We say that if you're following Jesus, you know how to receive love. And I want to know what channel I'm in so that I can better receive love from God and from others. Like if I can get a good look at what's going on inside my heart by watching the words coming out of my mouth, then I can understand what's going on. Regardless, then, of what people give to me, I can know how to ask for ice cream when I want ice cream. I can better know how to ask for that. And I can also, maybe, hopefully, better know how to handle um, yogurt when I get, you know, when I ask for ice cream, I get yogurt. I also want to be a better listener for others. Like, I want to better connect with others in their channel. I want to know how to listen and respond to others in a way that's loving, in a way that's going to be a blessing to them. I want to do this. You say, well, why do you want to do that? That's a good question. 
We're actually going to go back to Revelation one last time. We're going to look at a picture of Jesus that John was painting. Now, I may be stretching the limits of Bible interpretation, but I noticed something back in verses 5 and 6. John was actually writing about the ministry of Jesus. He tells us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He says, Jesus is a faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead, and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then he also says, Jesus has done these things. He says, he has loved us. He has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom and priest to God. Now, check this out. Doesn't it seem that these things line up across the chart? They line up across the chart. Like, as a faithful witness for who God is and what God is like, Jesus shows God's love. It's what a witness does. It talks about what they see, what they know. Jesus shows God's love as a faithful witness. Jesus died and came back to life as the firstborn of the dead, which is what freed us from our sins. And as a ruler over all the kings of the earth, Jesus has made us into a kingdom of God. Now check this out. It seems that Jesus' ministry is exactly what we need in every channel that we might need because Jesus' love for us affirms our identity as children of God. We are loved by God. Jesus affirms. And then Jesus became a human being and died like we die. He entered into our contract bubble. The writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Jesus understands because he's entered in to our situation. And Jesus serves as a ruler. He helped when we needed help, and then he made us helpers for others. Luke writes about how, how Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how we have been made ambassadors for Christ. And even get this, get this. Think back to John's little one-sentence, little introduction of himself and his situation. He affirmed their identity as brothers and sisters. He understood their situation. And he offered some helpful encouragement. He served them by offering some helpful encouragement. John carried on the same ministry of Jesus, and we are invited into the same ministry of Jesus as well. And so if there are any of us feeling unsure today, feeling unsure, feeling intimidated, maybe feeling like giving up hope, just like the people at these seven churches were then, John's words, they remind us we don't have to find a way to power through. Instead, God is on a rescue mission. And we get to join in, we're invited in, especially to join in the worship of God because that's where John writes, to him be the power and the glory forever. And for those of us who are hoping to take these words to heart and to join in what Jesus is doing, these words are a reminder that we have an opportunity to bless others. We have an incredible opportunity to bless others with our words, to affirm, to enter in and to understand and to serve. Sometimes in order to bless people, we just have to get into the right channel. And so maybe you, like me, maybe you could watch your words too. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are the author of life and you know our every need. You meet us in our needs as we've seen Jesus do here. Lord, we thank you. We ask your help. We ask that you would take our words that you would help us explore our hearts and know what's going on inside of us, God, that we would be molded and shaped more into your image each day because we want to join in this blessing ministry that you're doing. We want to join in and be a part of what you're doing. So help us to listen well. Help us to listen well that we might be able to love well. God, thank you for these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.